Bibles, and you can go ahead and get your Bibles open to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we're looking to be partners for the nations. This is the series that I get to launch. This is going to be a lot of fun because it's a really cool lesson that I get to teach. Partners for the nations. The 2019 World Outreach Celebration will help us see that Jesus is the refuge for the nations. You've seen the banners, you've seen the inserts in the bulletin, you can see the picture at the top of your notes, Refuge for the Nations is our theme for World Outreach this year. And when we talk about a refuge for the nations, that's not a financial refuge, it is not a food refuge, it is not a physical refuge that we are providing and looking to provide. It may be part of the process, um, as we will learn, and you can see even the notes, but ultimately Jesus is the refuge for the nations. And so our global partners are listed there in your notes. Mitch and Beth Kalmies, Bridging the Gap in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, Providing a Refuge for Muslim Women of Risk. Robert and Joanna Gaines, Bridging the Gap in South Africa, by Providing a Refuge for AIDS Orphans. Tom and Regina Franklin, with Bridging the Gap in the Dominican Republic by Providing a Refuge for the Impoverished. And they also spent a great deal of time in Haiti after um, the struggles that occurred there. Jesse and Erica McAllister with Bridging the Gap in Berlin, Germany, by providing a refuge for Muslim refugees. And then Alex and Haley Powell, Bridging the Gap in the Middle East by providing a refuge for Muslims. And so we're excited. We know most of these. Mitch and Beth, Robert and Joanna, Tom and Regina. We've been supporting them for a while. Jessica and Erica have been with us before. And we have provided with... the partnered with them with special projects and then Alex and Haley are new to us so we'll get to meet them and get to know them but that's those are who we're meeting with those who we're going to be working with and so today we're going to talk about really more of a part of what our part is when they come so because when they come we're going to discover something about them and I think most of you know this most of you have interacted with these missionaries enough that you understand this, and that is missionaries, our global partners, are people too. They're people very much like us. And when we say they're people too, what does that mean? What does that imply if they're people too? They are what? Human, which means they're what? Normal. They're fragile. They're sometimes discouraged. They're sometimes thrilled. They're sometimes got rough circumstances go on. They're they're broken people in need of Jesus. They're They're empowered people by the Spirit, ready to do ministry. They're just like us, right? They're just like us. They're people too. But they need churches like ours to be a refuge for them so that they will be refreshed to stay on mission. All right, so the goal, when they come, we have have several goals. I'm not going to talk through all the goals we have for World Outreach. Chris will talk through that. We know what we know. But one of the big goals that we have is when the missionaries come through, is for us to be a refreshment for them. We recognize that what they are going, they go through a variety of struggles and difficulties, and, and, and it can, they can come and be pretty roughed up from, the, from doing ministry, from being on mission. And they make great sacrifices to do God's mission and to bring the refuge of the nations to the nations sacrifices that we really don't fully understand unless we've actually been a missionary. But that's what they do. And so when they come, 
We don't want to them. We want them to minister to us, and they will. And they, you heard Bob talk about that. Yeah, I can't wait to come and minister to you and see what. But he also knows that he's going to come and he wants to be ministered to. And so when the missionaries come, we want to be a refuge for them. We don't want to be a place of tension. We don't want this to be a place of pressure on them. We don't want this to be a place where it's a struggle and a difficult time. We don't want this to be a place where we're pounding on them for stuff and we're getting... We we want this to be a place of refuge where they can come and be refreshed. Now, is that just because we want to be nice people? Well, that's part of it. You want to be nice people. We want to be kind. But why do we want our missionaries to be refreshed? Because when they get refreshed, what do they get to go do? Go and do more ministry. They get to go and do the mission. So yes, we want to be a refuge. And get the, look at these verses. And I think this is really important to see in these verses how Paul talks about being refreshed. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, according, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that they may, may be fellow workers with the truth. It's 3 John 5, 8. Look at Philemon. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Oh, could that be said? I would hope that would be said of us. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because your hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Why? So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. And then finally in Second Timothy, he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Why? For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Now, when you read those verses and you think of Paul and all the things that he went through and talking about being refreshed, where, where did the refreshment come from? Yeah. It, other people. came from people. Let that sink in for a second. Now, we know the good gifts and the blessings of God come from God, but He uses His people. So when we look at our missionaries need to be refreshed, we have to know that a significant part of that is going to be coming from people. So we go to Acts 18. And Acts 18 will remind us that missionaries are people too. We're going to see Paul in action. We're going to see a a specific um, city that he's going to in Corinth and what affects him and what goes on there and how he, in his discouragement, became refreshed. So the Apostle Paul is in the middle of his second missionary journey. And by Acts 18, Paul's already been through a long list of trials and troubles. 
he, he's been through the ringer, he, back and forth, it's, and I won't go through all of that. But here we get to Acts 18, and we get to Corinth, and it's only going to add to the list of afflictions. It's no wonder Paul was discouraged. His spirit needed to be rejuvenated. And that's exactly what the Lord does for him. So let's look at Acts 18. And we'll go ahead and read this passage and read this story and then refer back to it as we work through this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Awesome story. Awesome story. And so we see that, see, we want to be a refuge for our global partners to refresh them. All right? Here we get, a, we get Paul going in his story where he needed, to be, he needed to be refreshed. He needed to be encouraged. We want to be a refuge for our global partners to refresh them. Because, one, because first of all, our global partners go through times of discouragement just like us. All right? Our global partners go through dis- times of discouragement just like us. The Apostle Paul found himself in the throes of discouragement. All right? Now, when we read Acts 18, verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. We do not get discouragement in that passage. We get a travelogue. All right? But... When we look at what Paul himself wrote to the church of Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, this is what he says. And listen to this. He says, I came to you. Here's how I showed up in Corinth, guys. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now, our missionaries, when they come, they're usually pretty open with us. They're usually, they, they especially guys like Bob and Joanne, who've been here multiple times, and we have a really close relationship there. There's, there's true friendship. But you know what? I don't even know if he'll be this transparent. It's tough. Think about showing up in your small group. 
He went, hey guys, I'm here. But man, I'm weak. I am scared. And I'm trembling in fear. And it's, that's tough. That's tough. It's tough to admit that kind of fear. It's tough to be that transparent. And here Paul is, he's writing them a letter and saying, guys, when I showed up, this is where this is the condition I was in. Paul, the great apostle, the writer of many books of the Bible. This, I mean, this is the man. This is the greatest missionary ever lived. And he says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. This sounds like a man who's been through the ringer. This sounds like a man that he, he I that's discouraged that. It's taken everything he has to put that next foot in front of the other. Okay, I left Athens. I'm going to Corinth. I don't know about this. I'm, I'm scared. Every time I get to a city, it seems like I get beat up. I get tossed out. I got tossed out of Athens. I'll go try Corinth. But this because I don't know if this is going to end well. I'm scared. There are a variety of reasons that... Uh, Missionaries go through times of discouragement. Here we see four reasons, and we need to move through these pretty quick. Um, so reasons our global partners get discouraged. First of all, they endure personal difficulties. They endure personal di- Think about Paul. Every city, every city he's been to, he's gone through it. It's been difficult. And he's coming into Corinth, and this time... Not only has he been through the ringer, but he's showing up in Corinth alone. He's left some of his travel mates in other cities to lead those churches. He's done the right thing. Those churches needed it. But it means that he's going on to Corinth alone. Not only is he discouraged, not only is he frustrated, not only has he been beat up and tossed around, but now he's got to do this alone. There's personal difficulties. Guys, do we know that missionaries have personal difficulties? Not a question. We get a video every Sunday that generally, even if there's a smile on their face, and even if they think of it in terms of, hey, things are going great, then what do they start talking about? Hey, but there's this going on, and there's this going on, and there's this going on. And if you follow them on Facebook, or you get their email updates, or things like that, which pretty much all of them, when they come to World Outreach, you have a chance to sign up, or you can go find them on Facebook, things like that. And they talk about the difficulties they're struggling through. And again, it's sometimes with a smile on their face because they've, you know, they've got God's joy and they know it's His ministry, but it's difficult. And we get, you know, they're on video. They're, okay, let's smile as we talk about our difficulties we're struggling with. There's difficulties. They encounter spiritual darkness. <laughs> when Paul was in Athens, it was a city filled with idolatry. He shows up in Corinth and it's a city filled with immorality. You had the prostitutes of the temple that would come down into the city to worship. All right? That would give you an idea. Morally, Corinth was the original sin city of the world. It was just a place where sexual immorality was rampant. You can read 1 Corinthians and really get a picture of what it was like. They experienced financial stress. Financial stress. Paul, when he shows up in Corinth had to start working. He didn't want to work. What did he want to do? He wanted to share the gospel. He wanted to preach Christ as the Messiah. But instead, he had to go start tent making. And on the Sabbath, 
when he couldn't work, when he wouldn't work, he would preach the gospel. He was out of money. People have been supporting him. Churches would give him money. By this point, he's done. He's out of money. He's run out. He's got to get a job. He's got to start tent making. Can you imagine the potential financial stress as a missionary? When all your finances are provided by others who voluntarily give and can choose to stop at any time. Oh, okay, we've got income. Come. Yes, and every person that gives has no obligation to do so. You know, at least at our jobs, if we work all day, our employer has an obligation to pay us for that work. A missionary can work for years, and there's nobody that has an obligation to compensate him for it. It's trust. It's faith. And it's constant stress as, oh, we got dropped by this church, or this person passed away, I'm no longer getting their income, and this has happened. And not only that, oh, the dollar lost value, and so my income in this country just got cut by 30%. And then expenses, they were unexpected because they're in a different culture, and who knows how things are going to be, and things break, because we all experience that. Financial stress. We understand financial stress. And we've got it good. All right? Our missionaries experience financial stress. They also encounter missional opposition. If, you, if we talk to our missionaries, this may be the most discouraging and frustrating aspect of what they have to deal with. Missional opposition. These are the people and the circumstances that provide direct opposition to them doing what they're called to do. All right? These are the things keep missionaries from doing what they do, and that is share the gospel, plant churches, witness to people, build relationships. They want to do the, they want to, that's what they're there for, is to be a refuge, to present Jesus as the refuge to the nations. And then they encounter missional opposition. Paul, what kind of opposition did he get? He goes in there and it sounds that, hey, he's trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks that Jesus is the Christ. But according to verse 6, it was not long before the Jews started opposing him, which you ever say stuff that you can just, you know, after you said it, that you said it because you've just, you're worn out, you're beat up and you just hit a wall. It kind of sounds like what happened to Paul here, because this is harsh. Verse six, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out, he shook out his garments. I don't know much about Eastern culture, but I doubt that's real good. He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. Oh, I am innocent. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. You're dead to me. Blood's on your hands. I don't care. I'm going elsewhere. We know he cares. We know he loves it. I just think all the stress on him, all the frustration, all the difficulty. Here he is. He's tent making all week. Then he goes to the synagogue to share Christ. And it's just opposition, opposition, opposition. And finally shakes out his garments and says, forget it. I'm done with you. I'm going to the Gentiles. When they did, when they, when they rejected him, Paul shifted his focus to the Gentiles and he moved on. Put all this together And you can understand why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church years later, I come to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Our global partners are no different. They go through times of discouragement for the same reasons. 
Our global partners may be coming saying the same thing that Paul did. I come to you in weakness. We're afraid. And we're trembling in our fear. They probably won't say it. Maybe by the end of the week on Saturday when we have our prayer breakfast and prayer lunch, they'll start to open up and share some of those fears, some of those things that they're just scared about that they have to overcome to do the mission. We know they're coming in weakness because they're human. That's just part of it. These are our global partners. They go through all this. They're human, just like Paul. So since our global partners go through times of discouragement, then it's also true that our global partners need encouragement to stay on mission. They need encouragement to stay on mission, just like we do. How do missionaries survive discouragement? How do they get to the other side of it? Our God is a God of encouragement, and He loves to encourage His weary servants with fresh strength. Paul may have entered Corinth discouraged, but the God of comfort didn't leave him there. God encouraged His discouraged servant through His people and through His Word. Through His people and through His Word. The Lord brings encouragement through His people. This is, now, this is where we get to really listen up, okay? Because when our missionaries come, guess who? what part of this story we are? We're the people. Alright? This is our side of the story. Our global partners are coming. So let's, let's pay attention and think, okay, how do I participate in this to be a refreshment to our global partners? What role do I have? How do I participate The Lord brings encouragement through His people. First of all, the Lord provides sacrificial partners who are ordinary Christ followers just like us. We get introduced to a couple of names I think we're familiar with. It says, verse 2, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. We get introduced to them. This is who Paul gets introduced to. He starts making tents with them. They partner together. Aquila and Priscilla will become some of Paul's dearest friends and his most sacrificial partners. In fact, later on, they went with Paul to Ephesus. They're like, hey, we don't have to stay in Corinth. We want to keep ministering with you. We want to partner with you. Go on to Ephesus where they hosted a church in their home and eventually actually returned to Rome where they again hosted a church in their home. Paul says in Romans 16 that they risked their lives for his sake. And then in one of the last verses that Paul wrote before he was executed, he sent greetings to this couple because they had become his lifelong friends. See, Aquila and Priscilla were ordinary Christ followers. They, got, they, had, to leave, they had to leave Italy. They show up in Corinth and they just start making tents. This is what they do. They're people. Okay, we've got to make a living. And Paul shows up. They're ordinary Christ followers, but they leveraged what they had. They had their marriage. They had their job. They had their home. They leveraged what they had to refresh the hearts of God's missionaries and God's people. We can become sacrificial partners. What do we have to leverage to be an encouragement to a missionary? 
We have resources. We have things. We may not be able to, hey, it, it may not look like Aquila and Priscilla. It's going to look different for all of us. But the fact is, we can become partners with our missionaries. We call them global partners for a reason. It's one thing for somebody to show up and you write them a check and you send them on their way. And that's not bad. In fact, there are some missionaries, if that's what you do, it's not going to be that tight partnership. It says, you know what, we want to help fund this. This is good what you're doing. This is great. But then there's partnerships. And it's deeper than a check. It's, just, it's more than just finances. You're praying for them. Perhaps you're ministering with them where we've gone and to their, to their field, like Mission Beth Calmies, where we've taken a missions campaign to Tanzania to minister with them, to sit with them, to work with them. There's a partnership there. Whenever they do activities, when they have things, they have needs, you partner with them. And then maybe most importantly, we pray for them. And not just praying, like we get to know them. We find out what's going on with our mission videos and we partner with them. But it's a sacrificial partnership. It's not giving the crumbs off the table. It's sacrificing something in order to benefit and strengthen them. Aquila and Priscilla... Just ordinary people. But they leveraged what they had to be an encouragement. The Lord uses sacrificial partners. The Lord also sends financial support through ordinary local churches like ours. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. Going, Okay, what am I seeing here? Well, see, God encouraged Paul through the arrival of Silas and Timothy in Corinth. You know, it's like, okay, Paul, okay, I've got some partners. I've got Aquila and Priscilla. Whew, this is good. I've got some, I can, I can work with them, making, making tents. I'm working with the leather, doing tent making. I'm, I'm preaching on, on the Sabbath. Okay, I'm getting there. I've got something rolling here. But then... You get the arrival of Silas and Timothy, and it shifts. You see, Paul was obvious, I was overjoyed to see them, but it says when Silas and Timothy arrived, Paul was able to devote himself completely to the Word of God. See, he got to stop making tents, and he got to devote himself completely to doing the mission. This is encouragement. All of a sudden, some of that opposition to doing the mission. It's removed. Silas and Timothy show up, and now he's like, oh, now I can really devote myself to doing the mission. Now I can really give myself to do what God has called me to do. So what changed? How was Paul able to set aside working as a tent maker? Well, it's because Silas and Timothy brought brought with them generous love offerings from the Macedonian believers. See, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11.9, he says, For when the brethren came from Macedonia, that's Silas and Timothy, they fully supplied my need. What an encouragement this must have been. Paul, go to Philippians chapter 4, 15, and Paul writes a thank you note. And he says, And you Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my need several times. They continually gave him gifts. They continually provided for him so that he could shift from spending six days a week making a tent and one day a week sharing the gospel to where he could devote his time full time 
to doing the mission. The churches of Macedonia were ordinary local churches. They were not mega churches. They were mini churches. They were not big. These are house churches. Enough people that can fit into a home. These are like small groups. They were not mega churches. They're mini churches. They were not rich churches. They were poor churches. Not wealthy people. These are working people. But they leveraged the resources they had to meet the needs of God's missionaries and bridge the gap to the lost. Now, don't miss the significance of this. Yes, it's an incur- when our missionaries re- see on their statement that LifeBridge gave to them this month, and they see what we've given to them, you think that's an encouragement for them? Oh, man, yeah. And more importantly, when they see and they can look back years and years, and for some missionaries, decades of seeing LifeBridge before that Glenwood and that, that money coming in every month, every month. Every month. And they can count on it. They know it's going to be there. Is that an encouragement? Oh, it's an encouragement. But you know what's even a more significant encouragement that comes from that? Is the fact that because that money comes in, what do they get to do? They get to focus on doing what God has called them to do. They get to focus because their financial needs get met they get to focus on doing the mission that God has for them. Don't want to miss it. The church in Macedonia wasn't special that God gave them something that other churches don't have. They were just a church that stood up and said, we will help you, Paul. We'll send. We'll send the money. We'll step out. The Lord brings encouragement through His people, through special partners. People that partner with, sacrificially partner with the missionaries. He also does it through financial support. We understand this. We understand the encouragement that having finances taken care of is. And then the Lord blesses with spiritual fruit in spite of opposition and persecution. Verse 6, And when they opposed and reviled him, when the Jews opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments. We read about that. But then he left where he left and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And this is the greatest phrase right here for Paul. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And many of them. This is what every missionary prays for and longs for as they proclaim the gospel beyond borders. It's what we pray for and we long for here at LifeBridge, right? We want people to believe in Jesus and be baptized. And and these aren't, like I said, People of Corinthians, when, when, Paul, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians to, back to this people, he, he gives a list. And he lists the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, and swindlers. And then he warns these kind of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he tells them, 
And that's what some of you were. Talking about the people of Corinth. And that's what some of you were. But he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's the power of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. Where sin abounded, God's grace superabounded. If the gospel is powerful enough to save these Corinthians, then the gospel is powerful enough to save anyone. And that's what happened there. Oh, you talk about being refreshed. Paul, he comes in and he's worn out, he's beat up, he's in fear, he's trembling, he's discouraged. And he goes and he's alone and then he finds partners. He finds people that will partner with him in doing the ministry. People that will he can love on, that he can be cared for, that he can have a relationship, a deep friendship with. Then he find, then a church sends him money, sends him finances so that he can spend his time focused on doing the mission. And then even though he's rejected by some, others, those who are in the deepest need of the gospel because their lives are in complete and total rebellion of God, they turn. And they're, they are transformed by the power of the gospel. This is incredible refreshment that Paul receives. You go, you're like, man, Paul, he must be on cloud nine. He must be doing great. Unfortunately, Paul, like us, like our missionaries, he's, he's really human. And even when the circumstances that we think would just be winning us over, oh, the fear is now gone. The trembling is past. We're great now. No. Paul's still struggling. Despite such remarkable spiritual fruit, Paul's confidence seems to just evaporate. You see, it's like he's ready to quit. Maybe he's depressed. He's frustrated. Who knows? We don't understand. We don't know why this is happening. But we do know that God has an answer for it. Given his previous trials before arriving in Corinth and then more trials in Corinth, maybe Paul was, maybe he was just being burned out. But regardless of the reasons, Paul's discouragement and despair, it's obvious that Paul needed reassurance along with the refreshment. And so look what Paul, look what God tells Paul in verses, verse 9. And it's interesting, you come out of verse 8, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And they go, oh, but this is the mountaintop. Well, it wasn't for Paul. And so the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. What does that imply? That he was afraid. But, but, but the people are getting saved. But his finances are taken care of. He's human. Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. God tells him to not be silent. Paul, Paul never shuts up. He can't stop talking about Jesus. That's all he does. Why do you think God had to tell him, Paul, do not be silent? I think he was waning. I think he was wavering. He was discouraged. Maybe burned out. Maybe who? We don't know. But we don't do know this. He needed to be told, keep on talking. Do not be silent. Paul, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. 
For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. The Lord, He just speaks encouragement through His Word. Powerful encouragement. First of all, the Lord provides a supportive reminder. The Lord said to Paul one night, Do not be afraid. I am with you. So often our discouragement is due to our forgetfulness. We get spiritual amnesia and we start down a slide that takes us into an ugly place spiritually. We become so overwhelmed by life that we forget who God is. We forget what He has done and we forget where He is at. And so this is what God reminds Paul about. God has been saying this to His people throughout the Bible. Don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't be afraid, I am with you. But we keep forgetting and we get afraid and forget God is with us. The Lord supports Paul in his discouragement by by reminding him of his presence. This is, is, do not be afraid, Paul, for I am. I am. Chris did a whole series on this, on the power of the I am. Paul, remember what we learned last Sunday in Bruce's sermon about Paul, his education? He knew the Old Testament really well. He was educated. He knew the Old Testament and he knew the significance. And when God says, I am is with you, it is the Yahweh God that is with him. I think Paul's ears perked up. So stop being afraid because the great I am is with you, Paul. It is, it is what we forget in our own lives and it can be what our missionaries may forget if they're not careful. And they, may, they need a reminder from the Lord. That's why when they come, we like, they get preached to, they get taught to, they get to sit and listen to others teach and preach. We want them to be encouraged by the very words of God. The Great Commission is our supportive reminder. Matthew 28, 20 says, For I am with you always, even to the end of the, end of the age. As we go out on mission, we need to not forget that in order to do our mission, it's empowered by the fact that the great I am is with us always. The Lord gives a supportive reminder. The Lord sends a strong mandate. He tells Paul, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Go on speaking, Paul. Be bold. Proclaim Jesus. Don't be tempted to stop. Don't be tempted to hold back. Again, the Great Commission is our strong mandate. All authority in heaven and on earth is what we have. All authority on heaven and earth. The Lord gives a a supportive reminder. He gives a strong mandate. And then this is so cool. The Lord's sovereign promise. Or the Lord's sovereign promises, really. And he says in verse 10, And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Okay, here's what God is telling Paul. And here's what God is reminding us. Nothing happens that doesn't first pass through my hands. And my saving purposes will prevail. The first promise was unique to Paul's situation. No one will attack you to hurt you. But the relevance to us is the fact 
that the reason God can make that promise is because nothing happens that doesn't first pass through God's hands. When Paul was beaten, it's because God allowed it. In this case, and, and, it, and it happened often. In fact, Paul went to all kinds of cities and he's having to leave. He's getting beaten. He's getting thrashed. He's getting stoned. Happens over and over again. When you read the books of Acts, it's almost it's scary what goes on with Paul. He should have been dead multiple times. But this time, God says, Paul, no one's going to hurt you. And God is sovereign and in control of that because nothing happens that doesn't first pass through God's hands. The second promise reminded Paul of the Lord's sovereignty and salvation. And God tells Paul to keep speaking the gospel. Why? Because, Paul, I have many people in this city. He wasn't talking about the few that had so far gathered, Aquila, Priscilla, Crispus, and a few others in their households that had gathered together. He's not talking, hey, look, I've got some people in the city. God was saying, look, there's a city, and there's people here that are mine, but they need to hear the gospel. So don't stop talking. I've got people here that are mine. This is relevant to us. The reality is that God's saving purposes will prevail. They will. And for our missionaries, we know that God has people in South Africa. God has people in Dominican Republic. God has people in Germany that are Muslim refugees. God has people in Tanzania. And we need our global partners to continue speaking and preaching and sharing the gospel so that they can hear and respond. God's Word is so refreshing. All the human stuff, which is so necessary, is what we get to partner with, is what we get to jump into and be a part of. And it was so necessary, but yet, for Paul, this time, it wasn't quite enough. And he needed God's Word to speak to encourage him. But the result of experiencing our church as a, as a refuge of refreshment is that our global partners will persevere in bridging the gap to all people's until they return to report once more. That's what we want. When our partners come, we want them to experience refreshment coming from us. We want them to experience refreshment coming from the words of God. And then our partners will persevere. When you get to the end of Acts, you get to Acts 18, 11, it says, And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He got encouraged. He kept on going. They get to the end of the chapter and it says in 1822, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then he went down to Antioch. What's the significance of that? He kept going. He He moved forward. He didn't stop. He didn't quit. But it didn't happen without encouragement, without being rejuvenated. Again, 1 Corinthians 2.3 says, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. But after staying in Corinth, he then says in 1 Corinthians 15.58, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And he can write that at the end of that letter because that's where he had arrived at. He had the encouragement. He was refreshed. That's where we, we want our partners to be. Steadfast, immovable. We want them always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we know and they know their labor is not in vain. So, now our application. Now our application. How can, 
How can we be a refuge of refreshment to our world outreach guests? How can we be a refuge of refreshment? First of all, pray. Pray for us to be a refuge of refreshment for our global partners and at Celebrate Unplugged. We'll be having our missionary videos of our global partners coming through. We do it every Sunday. Now we'll do it with the ones that are visiting for world outreach specifically. And we want to pray for them. We want to pray for them leading up to it. And this is important. We want to do that. We want them to come and be refreshed. We want to pray for our church that we would be a church of refreshment for them. But the most powerful way to encourage our missionaries in prayer is to pray for them before they leave. And to send them forward in the grace of God through the power of prayer. And we do that at Celebrate Unplugged. So when you make your plans for attending and participating in World Outreach Celebration, do not neglect Sunday night and and Celebrate Unplugged. We will gather together and we will take communion and we will remember what God has already done. And we will remember who God is and where He is at in being with us. And then we will look at our missionaries and we will lay hands on them and we will pray for them. And we will send them forward in the power of prayer. It's a powerful, powerful encouragement to our missionaries. We want to participate in that. We want to encourage them through that. I know some of you are thinking, but Todd, the Chiefs play that night. It's okay. It's what DVR is for. Besides that, it's a 720 game. We'll be done by 6, 630 at the latest. Do do not dare let that hold us back from doing the mission that God has given us. We get to celebrate both. We get to enjoy both. Hope maybe missionaries will watch with us. That'd be fun. But come, World Outreach Celebration. We'll be praying leading up to it, and then we want to pray sending them out. Secondly, participate by signing up to serve and by coming to World Outreach. The schedule and times are in your bulletin. Also at the website, wearelifebridge.com. Here's a reality, guys. One of the simplest ways to encourage our missionaries is by being here. By being here. When when they come in and it's Thursday night or Wednesday night and we've worked and we're a little brain dead, maybe frustrated because so-and-so at such-and-such did this and this, And we're irritated and we show up from work and life is going on, right? We miss dinner because we're late and life is going on. When the missionaries look out and they're about to give their presentation and the seats are filled with people that are engaged and excited to hear what they've been doing, it is so encouraging to them. Oh, they care. Yeah, we care. And one of the easiest ways to show that we care, that we love our missionaries, we care about them, we are in, is the fact that we show up and participate. Your attendance communicates that you care about them. You care enough to set aside our schedule, set aside that we care enough to make room for them, that we care enough to show up and to hear their heart. We, we care enough to set aside ourselves to serve them by being here, by serving, there's sign-ups are over there to, to serve in the various, the, the children's ministry, the nursery, the food afterwards. There's ways to serve. Um, 
participate. Also, prepare. Prepare to be a person whom the Lord uses to refresh their hearts. We want to have our hearts prepared to be servants submitted to God's will and serving others. We want to come with an open heart to hear what God has for us. We want to come with a servant's heart to to serve other people. We want to come with a heart refreshed so that we can be a refreshment for our missionaries. Prepare yourself. This is a spiritual preparation. And then plan now about personally getting involved in faith promise giving here at LifeBridge. Plan now. Giving, giving to missions doesn't happen by accident. Giving to missions doesn't happen on a whim because it's money. And, and, and we have to make plans for that. We have to schedule it. We have to just make decisions about how we're going to do it and how much we're going to do. Plan. Start now. We've got, got about a month before World Outreach and before we take up the cards for making our financial commitment to missions. Think about it. Pray about it. Make a plan of how you can participate financially. Because it's the finances that enable our missionaries to go and do the mission that they have. The church at Philippi alleviated Paul's financial stress through their giving. And we can do the same. This is how we partner. This is how we provide. As a church, when our missionaries have needs, we can meet them. And we do. We provide monthly support and we provide special project funds. Often those special projects are so important. And we can do that because the giving is so consistent that we have an excess above the monthly support. And that excess above monthly support goes into our special projects fund that allows us to send hundreds, thousands, and at times ten thousands of money to people to support the ministry being done. So the gospel, so Jesus is proclaimed as the refuge to the nations. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. You have blessed us beyond beyond what we can imagine. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But God, you've blessed us with physical blessings beyond what we deserve. We thank you for all of this. And God, we ask, as we have seen in your word, as we have been encouraged by your word and what we have seen in Acts 18, we ask that we would leverage these things for the purpose of your gospel going out. God, let us be a a refuge for our partners when they come. Let us be a refreshment for them when they come. Let us leverage all we have, all the good gifts, so that we can encourage them for the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.